0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This November, the Pleasure Chest is holding their sexiest sale of the year. If you've been a long time wire people into that listener, you know that holiday shopping drives me bananas and I do everything I can to avoid it. But I'm really happy to be sponsored by The Pleasure Chest because I truly think if there's one thing to get you through the stress of this season, it's saving money on the things that bring you real joy, like vibrators. Starting Wednesday, November 27th and running through Monday, December 2nd, you can get 20% off anything on PleasureChest.com. That's dildos, butt plugs, books, DVDs, lube, kink gear, and so much more of the best pleasure products out there. Plus, all Fun Factory toys will be 25% off during that stretch. And you get free shipping if you place your order on Cyber Monday. Remember, that's Monday, December 2nd. And don't forget, as always, the Pleasure Chests weekly Pleasure Ed workshops are free and open to adults 18 and older of all genders, sexual orientations and relationship statuses. Follow at Pleasure Chest stores on Instagram and Twitter for up to the minute info on their free weekly workshops in New York City, Los Angeles and Chicago. There's workshops on hand sex, double penetration, threesomes, and so much more. Fall in Lust this autumn with the Pleasure Chest. And now, on with the show. Christine, hello. Hello. Christine, aka Demonum X. Correct. I'm totally saying it. I think I've said this to you before. I'm saying it like Demona, the female villain from the television show Gargoyles. <laughs> Did we have this conversation? No, but I love that. Oh yeah, which I feel like is a name based on Desdemona, but also oh yeah, like a lady demon mm-hmm. name. Yeah. Do you identify as a lady demon, Christine? Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> we tell everyone just like your about your whole outfit is so casually appropriate for this podcast. So I wore my
1: favorite Catholic shirt, which says. Saddam Today, Gamora the World. It's from a queer company out of Philly called Come On Strong. They make that Eileen Wornos t-shirt as well that everyone has.
0: When Andrea Glick was on the show, she was wearing that I'm with her yes, Eileen Wornos shirt. Her. So th- this is the second appearance yeah. by, what is the name of the company? Come On Strong. By Come On Strong on this podcast. Yes. Unfortunately wearing a shirt on a podcast is is not maybe the best way to promote the shirt although (laughs) i have called attention to their shirts both times that the interview has been wearing it so anyway great shirt and i also have on a
1: faux leather pencil skirt and knee-high boots
0: are they are are they faux
1: leather they are i'm a vegan (laughs) I actually don't think I realized that. Yeah. I'm a vegan leather daddy. Oh my God. Amazing. Yeah. Perfect. We exist.
0: Demonum X is a femme leather dyke and lifestyle dominant. She believes in BDSM as a form of spirituality and specializes in rope bondage and blood play. She is the founder and editrix of Fist, an anthology zine for leather dykes, as well as Linked, a polyamory zine, which is totally right here on my table. More of her words on BDSM and Power Exchange can be found in Them, Autostraddle, and Wussy Mag. Daemonum X lives in Brooklyn, where she sometimes teaches and often performs. You can follow her on social media at daemonumx and buy zines at fistzine.com. And she also goes by the name Christine. How's it going, Christine?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: I'm so happy that you're here. We are going to talk about a subject that is so alien to me, (laughs) which is a fun fun challenge. We're going to talk about Catholicism and why people are into that. But before we do, I want to talk a little bit about your work because you do some really fucking cool and interesting stuff. So first of all, you are a zine maker in 2019. I want to know... What it's what it's like to be a zine maker. What inspired you to start making fist zine? You you just had a release party for issue four. You've also done Linked, of polyamory zine, why zines?
1: So I started fist in 2017, and I'm a huge history person when it comes to leather. More actually, probably only leather, uh, <laughs> le- like leather and dyke history specifically. So. Um, a few years ago I got really into reading all of the books mm. like any recommendations? I think my absolute favorite is probably leather folk So good right right <laughs> there on that shelf yeah you you just have to have it I l- that,
0: that book really changed my life actually
1: it, it honestly I get emotional just thinking about it totally. It's so
0: great. actually I'm about due for a reread of <laughs> yeah. that book yeah yeah
1: so all all of the I guess when leather was becoming more, popular in maybe the early 80s there was lots of writing about it books and zines and more popular magazines honor Honor backs was the like glossy magazine there were other zines that were produced more diy Mm -hmm. like traditional zines they're really hard to find Uh, But I found some of them and was super inspired. And I was like, why is no one doing this anymore? Our lives are not totally different than than the people who were writing these back in the 80s and 90s. But it would still be great to document them and thinking about how I have like reading uh, stories and perspectives of Dykes from back then has really changed my life and inspired me. So I was like, hey, we're we're still here. Why did people stop making these? And I don't know really what the answer is. I maybe the Internet is the answer. Yeah, it's
0: usually good to <laughs> scapegoat <laughs> right? the Internet. Totally. So I was like this, let, like, let's bring it back. People are still making them even though we have the Internet, but there's less of there's less energy around distribution, yeah, because be. those stories and that information is also being shared online, right? So maybe things are happening in like smaller communities, but we're not as aware of it. But you weren't seeing it in your communities here in New right. York.
1: It's it's an anthology, so I open for submissions, and then people submit to me, um, which I love to say.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, the running joke: submit. So, yeah, then I narrow it down and, and print. And the last, um, every every zine gets, the first print run 100% gets to go to charity. Awesome. And then the last issue four, I actually was able to start paying contributors.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Can you define leather? What does leather mean to you? Tell Ooh. us about your leather journey. <laughs> oh, so uh,
1: and this uh, this might be controversial. I feel like leather at its core is queer mm. and it's specifically like it's really fucking gay, and <laughs> it I know that that's not necessarily the case today, but the history of leather is incredibly gay, but for me it it is the difference between having BDSM as a hobby mm. and having BDSM as
0: a lifestyle. Or like part of your identity. Right. Part yeah. of your
1: identity. It's like it's how you move through the world and it's always on your mind. You're always thinking about that aspect of who you are. Yeah. Um, you have identity surrounding it like labels or. Honorifics. Yeah, exactly. So I for me that's that's mostly the difference. It's like BDSM
0: leveled up. Yeah, and then also maybe like a need to create community and yes. to signal to others about a participation in a culture, which could be a few people getting together or could be networking with larger cultures or being connected to history right
1: yeah it has a lot to do with community as well yeah i I guess it would kind of hard to be a like a leather person like outside of community yeah that that would be terrible
0: yeah that would be rough i mean i guess there are plenty of people who want to have more solitude than others i don't know it's kind of amazing to imagine like solitary leather culture like a leather hermit (laughs) Or like a leather mage on top in like living in a cave on top of a mountain. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's really funny to think about. But it it is like a lot of your like people will have families or houses and a lot of your identity, even though it is very personal, it's in relation to others. Mm, so if you're I think that's true. Yeah, if you're a dominant, you're always a dominant, but what fun is that if you don't have any submissives
0: (laughs) totally yeah awesome thank you for that i feel like everybody has a different definition of leather and a lot of people who have pledged their lives to it are really vague about putting it into words which i think is fine but as a wordy person, I'm very invested in trying to, I mean, that's, I mean, I, I feel similarly about this podcast. This is not necessarily like a leather podcast, but leather culture and archiving and history and community and values like education and demystifying things and destigmatizing things is like a really big part of what this podcast is.
1: Yeah, thank you for that.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I was fishing for that. <laughs> it's like a zine, but it's like an audio zine.
1: But yeah, I've been listening to this podcast
0: for a very long time. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, well, welcome. <laughs> How does it feel to be in the hot seat? Oh, I'm honored. It's oh, great. Oh, I can't oh,
1: wait. There have been a few a few episodes where I was like, oh my god, like that's... I w- I want to talk I like I want to be there in that conversation. You oh, know? I love that. Yeah, so this is great.
0: Oh, well that makes me feel really good. I just asked you because you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> I I forget I forget that I forget that people listen sometimes. <laughs> I'm just, do, you, do you like experience that with making zines where you're like like churning it out and, and like doing, you know, we, we were just talking about your, your process and the printing and going to the post office and gathering submissions and editing and all that stuff. Do you like forget sometimes when people come up to you and they're like, I loved that story or that article. You're like, right. Yes.
1: Yeah, I got a, I was at a restaurant like, a couple of weeks ago, and I got a note on my receipt. Like, the server... Hot. Yeah, was like, I love your zines. Here's 10% off. Fuck yes! I did not get a phone number. But I got that note and a discount, so...
0: I mean... I don't know. i I take a discount over digits anyway. Yeah, that's true. You're right. It's better. It's better this way. Um, what was What made you decide you were doing Fist, which is... A combination of people's submissions are like fiction, but then sometimes they're like personal essays and all different comics, all different kinds of stuff. But then you made this. I have it right here. Yay! Linked. Oh, you should sign it for me. Oh my god! <laughs> look, look, look at that pink highlighter. Oh, I love that. Yeah, oh, that makes definitely so high. Let me see. Let Let me just randomly pick something that I that I highlighted, and will um we'll reveal something about me. Well oh, yeah. This is a very me thing to highlight. For people in mixed privilege relationships, race, class, ability, gender, etc. If you are the person with more privilege, what are you doing to make your partner feel valued and secure and worthy? Yes. Well written. Thank you. Well highlighted. <laughs> See, <you>. we collaborated. <laughs> That's what community is all about. Yes. Well, that is just a taste of, uh, of this awesome zine. What made you decide to write about polyamory?
1: okay so the shady answer is <laughs> that i don't i don't think that i have everything all figured out but i think i do a pretty good job in relationships i have been seeing all around me lots mm. of people who are doing this incredibly messy and mm. by this i mean polyamory, polyamory open relationships yeah. and so i was like you know, how can I create something that's, like, an easy way for people to access this knowledge that I've learned from my own experience, from other people who've had the experience, and from reading lots and lots of different things about polyamory. So, yeah, I decided to make a zine because I was already making fists. So, yeah, why not?
0: I think it's really good. Thank you. I really... Yeah, I really enjoyed reading it.
1: It's kind of like it's it's definitely I've I've heard people say that it's not a 101 resource because it kind of jumps a
0: few ladder step. to be honest that is maybe part of what i liked about it i, I mean listen yeah. i love a one-on-one resource i truly do and like in my sex education when it te- in like my pedagogy of mm-hmm. like adult kink and sexual education workshops like i got the advice really early on that establishing the fundamentals and the basics is a really good thing to do because you don't want to take for granted that what what people know, but you're also sort of establishing like your style and your values by being like, here are the basic things that I feel about all of this or like, here's how you would approach things if you were new. But a lot of poly stuff is like that. Yes. And so it was kind of nice to read something that is a little bit more like, yeah, you've just you've had a lot of experience. One thing that really stuck out to me about the zine was at some point you say something that could not be more simple, which is that your partner's partners also have feelings yes. like are people with feelings Yes. and i i was like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know because there's so much focus in polyamory on like like in a good way, on like you you think about your own boundaries and you think about your own needs and you try to deprogram yourself with like like, well, you know, I have this idea that society gave me, and I'm having this emotional reaction, but like, what is the real thing that's going on for me? And then you're like thinking about the person that you're dating and like all of that stuff, but like then the people that they, you know, you're not just trying to like protect your boundaries from that person. like they also have like feelings and needs and even if you're, like, past the point that, like, they're not the enemy. Right. They also, like... And you don't have to be friends. Right. Or fuck them to, like, acknowledge that they have their own needs and boundaries. Yeah. And that's it was a, refreshing. That's
1: a thing like a lot of people get started out in polyamory when they're already coupled. Right. And so then it's kind of like us against the world. And especially right. if you're dealing with unlearning jealousy and possessiveness and yeah. you know, like you're mine forever and make creating rules around what uh your partner what, what you feel is would make you the most comfortable that your partners allowed to do with and in that, there's a lot of collateral damage in uh, the people that you are bringing into this mess. <laughs> so it's important to remember, like, oh yeah, like, I shouldn't try and control you because, oh, that that's a person who also has feelings. and like they deserve a say in this, and they like.
0: The person that you like.
1: Right. You like the same person.
0: <laughs> yeah. And also, I-, I guess it made me realize that there's, there's so many layers to unlearn that even if you're like having sex with someone that isn't my partner or having a romance with someone that isn't my partner is not cheating because we're being ethical and we're communicating about it, there's maybe still a bias that that person is like like the other the other woman or the other person you know like the other person that is like coming in and being a disruptor right and that they don't deserve the same consideration that you do right and you just kind of like burst that bubble yeah so that was really helpful yay thanks yeah that's awesome i love it another thing that you do that is really extraordinary you know let me tell you a story when I was getting turned out in the Bay Area, being a sex worker, being queer, being kinky, sort of coming into an understanding of what you were describing as leather that like kink was not just like, oh, I should like to experiment a little bit, but like no, this is like who I am and like what I'm about. Mm-hmm. And this is like 2008-ish in the Bay Area. There were people who did Shibari and suspension and like elaborate bondage like events and performances and happenings now listen I I worked as a dominatrix so I also like I learned a a lot about bondage I am a very underwhelming <laughs> bondage <laughs> top. it's, it's true. I, I, I'm the first to admit it. Uh, I never could get the hang of it but um, uh, once someone's in bondage, I'll fuck them up but I'd like to have somebody come in and blindfold them, have somebody else do the bondage and that. anyway, so I was definitely like learning from a lot of, of women, but there were a lot of people in sort of the larger community that would like do events who were I bet you can guess. Cis, straight, white, (laughs) guys. You don't say. (laughs) And I don't believe that. I'm not going to name any names. I bet some people listening to this are thinking of the people that I'm thinking of from this era. But a lot of them were unfortunately sleazebacks. And I don't mean that in a good way. And But if you were curious about having the experience of seeing what kind of rope bottom you could be which I was curious about, you kind of had to be like, well, I mean, for me, I was like, well, I'm going to figure out how to get paid to have this experience so that it doesn't matter if I'm not attracted to the person. And I can be, I guess, a bit of a mercenary in that way. But like, (laughs) I like never really like enjoyed it very much. Mm. And then I was like, well, I guess I don't like this that much. Mm. Not that I didn't like bondage, but that I didn't like... The more like elaborate suspension bondage, right? And so then flash forward like a decade or more, and I'm like at queer leather parties in Brooklyn, and all of a sudden, this is fucking babe in what I now know is faux leather, um, <laughs> fucking tying up my friends in these like elaborate, beautiful <laughs> performances, sort of like live installations. And I was like, huh maybe I do like this (laughs) or maybe I could like this or I just I I realized I had like a bias in my head that like yeah it was not something that I could experience from someone that I found to be a babe right (laughs) so thank you for your service (laughs) is what I'm trying to
1: say I'm glad to have changed your mind about that
0: yeah yeah so can you describe the kinds of bondage performances that you do and how you went from like being someone who's into bondage to somebody who does these like performances. And they're not super like high concept, like burlesque performances. They're really more like, I don't know. Yeah. They feel like live installations to me. That's a nice way to think about it. I think that rope
1: suspension lends itself really nicely to like this bridge between burlesque and scening. Mm. So parties, parties, even like vanilla parties or dance parties that are sexy, yeah. they will oftentimes want rope bondage performances. It's really great to look at. People that have never seen it before are like, oh my God, this is incredible. But Now <laughs> I know
0: for sure that I'm at bondage a go like, yes. yeah, Party promoters
1: and stuff who invite me and I I do it like maybe every couple months to do a performance and because I'm not like, I don't like to be the center of attention. I don't like to be looked at. I started doing it because my friend, who I was tying up a lot, would be like, oh, I like somebody wants us to do this thing. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but now I'm like more comfortable doing that. And, and it's better for me because the I feel like the bottom, whether this is true or not, don't tell me you watch me. Tell me you watch the bottoms that I tie up. <laughs> I mean, I'm
0: definitely, I'm a switch. So
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm also a switch voyeur. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm
0: watching both. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, it feels like everyone's just watching the bottom and I'm not even there. So, that's why I do it. It's it's fun for me now because I think that a lot of times rope specifically that's the same as like pole dancing now can be super desexualized. Mm, and it's a I'm really good comparison. Not, I'm like not about the respectability in that. Yo. I hate it. Rope and bondage like that's a that is a a huge part of my sexuality and I really don't enjoy like the yoga rope movement that's been (laughs) taking the world by storm. Um, I'm a sadist so when I tie people it's because I want to hurt them not because I want them to look pretty. Great. Yeah so I try to be true to myself while I'm doing these performances and do something that feels like I would do this scene at home and I'm just doing it in front
0: of other people now. That's great. Yeah. Well, it is pretty to look at, but I also enjoy sadism. Yes. So. <laughs> and masochism. Yes. So, Yeah. Well, if people listening have not seen Christine's performances, uh, you really got to check them out. They're very also, I don't know, like I just had Lindsay die on the show to talk about cake sitting. Have you seen any of her cake sits? I have. Yeah. I, I feel like you guys have something in common in your performances which is that they're very like maybe solemn is the wrong word somber not exactly like sad Mm -hmm. but they're definitely not like razzle dazzle or like upbeat or or like even sort of sassy burlesque. they're they're both very almost like droney yeah like a catholic mass perhaps oh good segue <laughs> good segue is that what catholic mass is like i barely know i have i have sort of been to catholic church <laughs> have i been to mass what is the difference i it's, guess this is a good it's place mass to start is like the
1: name of the service basically like if you went if you've been to like a catholic service for like an hour or whatever it is then you've been to mass okay i have been to mass <laughs>
0: Well, that's a great segue. So we're going to talk about why are people into Catholicism (laughs) slash blasphemy. I'll tell you another story. I worked for a time actually at the same time that I was getting started working as a dominatrix. I worked for an agency that provided at home caretakers for adults with developmental disabilities. And you basically like needed to like do, you know, you're working for an adult. So if the, the adult says like, you know, who want to go to the movies then you know you're gonna to go to the movies and if the client that you're working for is like we're gonna to go to church tomorrow you know so I had this experience <laughs> once where I'm like staying with this woman who actually did not have uh, a cognitive uh, disability she was uh, merely blind um, uh, but needed help around the house anyway so she's blind and like 70 And she was like, cool. And then in the morning, like, I'm going to go to church. And I was like, cool. Does somebody like pick you up for that? And she's like, I'm pretty sure you take me to church. And I was like, oh, shit. Fuck. (laughs) And like, for those who are listening who don't know, I was not raised religious at all. I am half Jewish and like definitely very culturally affiliated with my Judaism and like know more about Judaism than other forms of religion, but like I am a lifelong atheist and I actually like grew up in a very Christian small town, so I actually am like triggered by people like trying to convert me, and we can talk about that. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I was like, I just like the idea of going to church. But then I was like, well, I'm getting paid to go to church. I guess it's like uh, like sociological experiment. But I also, like, kind of didn't really have a choice. Right. And then it ended up being Catholic mass. Yes. It was just, like, so humorous because... And the guy I was dating at the time had been to 13 years of Catholic school. My, my, did that affect his sexuality? Oh, yes. Uh, And he was very repressed. Uh Um, I hope you're listening. (laughs) So I, like, go home, and I'm, like, telling him about how, like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, like, sitting there, and these people turn around, and they're, like, peace be with you. And I'm, like, you too, you know? Like, I don't fucking know what I'm supposed to say. And then, and then uh, because she was blind, my client, I had to, like, walk her up to take the Communion. Eucharist. Yeah, Eucharist. Yeah. Most of my, my knowledge of Catholicism comes from having a literature degree, so I'm, like, I know about all the, like... Allegory stuff, yeah. so I'm like much more likely to say Eucharist than communion. Anyway, so I'm like going up. They like start to give me the thing, the wafer, right, the body of Christ, the body of yeah, Christ. as it's being transubstantiated yes. in front of my. Do you know the words. Me. Oh my god, I'm telling you, <laughs> literature degree, and I'm like, I, I'm trying to be like, no, no, like. What's going to happen if it transubstantiates? Right. <laughs> I haven't been confirmed. I, yeah, great right, cuz you're not supposed to, no. right? And she my client is like it's fine, it's fine. I was like, but I'm not. Like this is what's going to is like hellfire going to like <laughs> like emerge emerge from the ground? I guess is where hellfire emerges from and like strike Strike down this this Catholic Church anyway. So um, that is my adventures in mass. Did you take the communion wafer? Yeah, yeah. And I drank the wine. Wow. Yeah, I like kind of. I was like in a. They they actually had wine. I
1: think they had. I think it was wine. Yeah. So a a lot of churches will not. That's like for special occasions.
0: Oh. Like maybe only, it wasn't. You
1: wine. only get wine like at
0: Christmas mass.
1: Oh well maybe no like was... they only do the um the body of christ not not the blood
0: oh maybe i've just told this story and included no, but the blood that i mean could have happened yeah i mean knowing me i probably just <laughs> I probably just added a little blood in there right. anyway that's my story other than that i am hopeless i know nothing about catholicism the erotics of catholicism i'll just come out and say it leave me totally cold <laughs> I'm not into nuns. I'm not into. Uh, did you see Fleabag? No, not oh, yet. Okay, there's a very hot priest confession. That I'm not into. Like the the guilt stuff, the conf all the kneeling, the oh, all the all this all this I'm stuff. getting hot just <laughs> just hearing you list all of these things. The, you know, fucking yourself with a with a crucifix. Like I'm just I'm not into any of that. So can you please explain to me? Why are people into this crazy shit? Yeah.
1: Okay, so I have the, the most people that I know that are into Catholic stuff definitely were raised Catholic.
0: Well, That was going to be one of my questions is, do you have to be a reformed Catholic to eroticize Catholicism?
1: I think that it makes the most sense. Yeah. Of course, you can be anyone and eroticize Catholicism or like think nuns are hot My personal story is that I was raised Catholic. Um, I was, I I went to public school and uh, I was always threatened with Catholic school until I was like old enough to understand that my parents couldn't actually afford to send me to Catholic (laughs) school. But I was an angel child anyway, so I didn't really need the threat.
0: That's, even that (laughs) is interesting, the idea of like being threatened the idea of, like, if you misbehave, you're going right. to be sent to this, like, yeah. stricter environment. Yes. Yeah. you.
1: Yeah, it's strict. You have to wear uniforms, which I was like, oh, absolutely
0: right. not. Oh, that reminds me of another story.
1: So we went to mass every Sunday, and I went to catechism classes on Monday night, which is called CCD, and I don't know what that stands for, but it's, like, you go and you learn very cherry picked stories from the New Testament uh, usually about miracles that Jesus performed okay they do not at all tell you about all of the other shit in the Bible that is like not Jesus performing miracles and how he died for our sins they don't talk to you about they or they do talk to you about how they di- how he died. They talk to you about how he died. That's like the thing Catholics are obsessed with. Yes. But I have noticed that. Yeah, you like will never hear stories from like the Old Testament right. about like the wrathful god, the vengeful god, the god who likes to kill and, you know, pillage and
0: whatever. So and like fuck with and, like mind fuck people. Yeah,
1: mind fuck people tell you you have to kill your son yeah, and then exactly. be like L-O-L-J-K when you're about to do it. (laughs) Right, right. That was my experience of religion was like, oh, my God, so great. Like, Jesus was this dude and he died for us and he did all these miracles and he's amazing.
0: Do you remember believing that?
1: I did believe it until I was probably maybe about the time I stopped believing in Santa Claus. (laughs) How, How old were you? third fourth grade yeah but I would go to the CCD classes and we'd learn about how Jesus you know whatever miracle he did that week and then my question was always oh why don't people do miracles today like how come no one has walked on water in like 2,000 years you know good um, question more th- yeah more than 2,000 years so they, they didn't like me and then I did end up getting confirmed my parents decided to stop going to church when, you know, they were realizing that they were extreme hypocrites. And then I became a pretty staunch atheist and kind of like put all of the Catholic stuff away for a while. And then um, I went to, uh, when I was like f- first going to kink- kinky parties, sex parties, I went to one that was church themed. Great. And... Where was that? It's a party that doesn't happen, but it was called Slut Pile here in Brooklyn.
0: I remember Slut Pile. Yeah.
1: It was not... It wasn't that long ago. Um, I didn't go to parties for a long time. So I, like, started going to parties and this one was church themed and they, like, built a confessional... In the apartment that it was being hosted in. Classic. Yeah. So I wanted to take, I wanted someone to confess to me. Yeah. But I met a femme top who was toppier than I was. So I ended up confessing to her. And it was transformative. Wow. And I was like, this is so hot. I've never felt this way about like role playing or like pretending to do something in a scene as like this just awoken something in me.
0: Cool. Yeah. What was your confession? Um
1: <laughs> So there's there and part of what makes it fun and interesting for me is that everything has like a ritual to it. Sure. Um which is, you know, I feel like there's a lot of similarities between leather as a whole and Catholicism. Okay. And the ritual is one of them. So, you know, if you go into confession, you have to recite, there's a prayer, and then you have to say certain things, and, like, it's been four months since my last confession, and there's a, a thing you have to go through. Yeah. Um. So we, like, looked it up online and, like, did that, and I think, you know, I wanted to make it dirty, so I was, like, I've been having impure thoughts about mm. my priest, and, you know, it was about her, and she was, like, oh, well, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then told me that I had to say a bunch of prayers or I forget what it was but yeah that was kind of my introduction that was maybe three years ago introduction into like the world of of this kink for me and it's been quite the journey